Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, Sweeney. Hey, it's Joanna. And welcome to Show Your Work, a very special episode. So exciting because we have been talking about how excited we are to be able to now bring you guys guests on the podcast on a more consistent basis, and we sure did. We sure did. Before we tell you who she is, I did want to talk about the work and the location of where we work, because we did this podcast interview discussion in a place where we've worked a lot, Duanna. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we record the podcast very formally at your dining room table, yeah. um, surrounded by beagles and food and whatever else. And yeah, when it came time to go and interview our guest, we did not go to a conference room. Nope. Or, uh, you know, an interview round table or a studio. <laughs> <laughs> no, we met her in her hotel room. Yep. Um, and we camped out uh, around a double bed the way you and I have been doing for years uh, when we get a lot done in a very short period of time. I think that a generation ago, or not even a half generation ago, there would be people who would be appalled that work happens in those places. Well, we could be appalled at us. I mean, there are people who talked about why would anybody go to a hotel room, remember? Like that was happening as recently as this year uh, when talking about some of the accusations around Harvey Weinstein and other people. That's right. But you know what? There are new fields of work coming up all the time and a mobility to work that is more and more, well, mobile. Podcasters can podcast wherever they are. And that's the beauty of it, especially with our guest who is a podcaster She's been traveling the world because her podcast has been so popular, and she's been doing her podcast in hotel rooms, in corners, maybe in like coffee shops. You can get your work done wherever you work. So what you're saying is there's no excuses. No. (laughs) But also, it did allow for that kind of cozy, uh, semi-sleepover-esque chat uh, that you have with somebody when you're super impressed by them and also a little panicked that you left some hairs behind on the bed. Uh, yeah. Like, make no mistake that I was cleaning up loose curls as I left. Uh, head curls, you guys. Come on. <laughs> but you know what? She herself is a podcaster pioneer, and part of her work is showing other people how to podcast. Lots of people approach her with their questions. How do I get started? What do I need? And her thing, as she tells us, is... If you want to podcast, don't let anything stand in your way, even if you have to do it in a hotel room. Yeah, and that you have the capacity to learn everything you need to know, that there's not a magic bullet that somebody who is a professional can teach you that you can't learn. And how fitting then that when we got to meet her, you and I were not able to secure a studio. We were not able to secure like whatever conference room. So we said, you know what? We want to do this. This is a very special guest. 
We want to make it happen. And we did it, everybody out there. We did it. We just wanted to let you know and set that example. And that, you know what, the the ad hocness and the casualness of it is, uh, that's not a bug, that's a feature. Um, and it's part of what we get to do and what we're excited to do. So a little primer uh, about who we are talking about. Uh, if you listen to Answer Me This with Helen and Ollie or The Illusionist, Helen Zaltzman podcast, uh, then you know that she is a super smart, very articulate and funny as hell, word-obsessed woman who continually kind of entertains us, or should I say edutains, wait for it, it's a portmanteau, it'll come back, um, in a way that I find really exciting and tickles something very particular. So without further ado, we present the work of The Illusionist. So, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's begin. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Helen Zaltzman, and I make the podcast The Illusionist and Answer Me This. I said that in a threatening way. It's not <laughs> supposed to be. It's just facts. Um, and maybe, uh, can you lay out a little bit just to begin with? So two podcasts that more or less, re they release weekly when you're not on a giant tour. Well, okay. Uh, they kind of release in alternate weeks. When that turns out well. So answer me this. Um, we started in 2007 when no one knew what podcasts were. And uh, it was a very peaceful time in that respect. And it was weekly. And I was spending three days a week making an episode and the rest of the time trying to earn enough money to live. And so that was tricky for several years. And now answer me this is kind of every other week and I have The Illusionist. Uh, and so podcasting is my full-time hustle now. So I guess, uh, yeah, my job hadn't been invented until quite a long time after I started doing it. I like um, I like when you go, we people, when you go online and you research somebody, typically there's, um, Helen Zeltzman is a podcaster, writer, comedian, and there are like a series of words describing what your job is. If it were up to you, which word would come first after your name? At the moment, podcaster would be accurate. Um, I've never counted myself as a comedian. Um, I never really felt much draw towards that as a life because my brother's a comedian so I knew what was involved and it seemed to be a lot of uh, social dysfunction <laughs> and, uh, and late nights and company with other people who are emotionally damaged but comedy writer is is different because uh there's anonymity involved or yeah it's not it's not stand up the the expectations I think are different so through my work I might do things that are comedic but if you lead with comedian, you've got to bring the giggles. And, uh, you know, it's nice to bring that as a bonus. Right. It's it high pressure to define yourself that way. Yeah, exactly. God, I feel now like I'm just not brave. <laughs> so podcaster comes first. Yeah. But there are other things that you do. There, yeah. writing, yes. editing. A lot of, I guess most of the podcasting is editing. If I broke down the podcast jobs, there'd be like 11 jobs. I read broadcasters in there. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it depends who you're talking to. Yeah. So uh, if I think probably someone doesn't know what podcasts are, it's easier to say broadcaster. And if you don't want to get into that, then you say, I work in accounts or I work in IT or something, because then there's no follow-up question. So the reason why that was interesting to me um, when I was thinking about you and how many words come after your <laughs> name to identify your job is because about 20 years ago now, a new word kind of entered the celebrity lexicon, 
and that word was multi-hyphenate. <laughs> and I know you talk about words, and typically that word multi-hyphenate was used at the time to describe Jennifer Lopez. So she was a dancer, and then she was acting and singing, and people were like, multi-hyphenate Jennifer Lopez. At and, the beginning. And she had the sweet face clothing. There, and she had the right. sweet face. There you go. And at the time, I remember we had friends, one in particular, who'd roll her eyes. Oh, what a stupid fucking word. I've never gotten in more trouble in my life than using multi-hyphenate uh, in something that we were going to be working on together. Wow. I was like... Who would use that word? What are you doing? So sensitive. I it didn't was realized. It was a very loaded something. Yeah. Is so, it because it refers to the spaces in between the words rather than the actual words? <laughs> That's a good one. I also think it just was unsexy in a world where celebrity entertaining is all about how you sex something up. And multi-hyphenate at the time, especially related to Jennifer Lopez, was not like the sexiest word. Well, it, because, do you think because it implies that there's actual work involved or because of the implication of jack of all trades, master of none? I think it's more like what Helen said. You stop and think about the definition. It's one of those words where you have to pause and say, what does that mean? There's multi, there's hyphen, there's et at the end, <laughs> right? It forces you to think about the definition and we don't want to think about the meaning of things anymore. I quite like it. But then maybe it's because 20 years has passed and you kind of expect celebrities to have about three different hustles going on. Yeah. Whereas before it was like, well, they're an actor. They don't get to do music as well. Well, yeah, there was a real snottiness towards anybody who tried to do anything like that until really recently. Right. It would be like so-and-so is releasing an album. So-and-so is trying to act. I have absolutely no references right now that aren't like Hilary Duff uh, or somebody like that to reference. Isn't that the attitude that spawned the phrase stay in your lane? Mm. Oh, good question. Stay in your... Oh, is that a modern usage? And we're putting you on the spot now, but it's... <laughs> I, I think... Uh, well, I can't speak for people who are younger and more modern than I am. I think you would still get people understanding. But I think in Britain in the 90s, the multi-hyphenates were soap stars who then did albums. But then some of them became Kylie Minogue and then people forget she was in soaps. But then in North America, does anyone know who Kylie is? Um, but yeah, I don't know if people know Kylie Minogue was, had the, the illustrious career before the career or the sustainable career before the career anyway. Yeah. Well, she was on Neighbours, which is such an incubator, but you don't get it in North America, do you? It's Australian. So, no, we don't get it here. Um, well, or then we don't get it. I think you can get anything here now. I guess. Yeah. You can get anything at any time. Yeah. Therefore I stopped watching, but Guy Pearce was on that, uh, Margot Robbie. Um, so like lots of people come from neighbors because they're like, it's such a disciplined acting environment. If you get a take wrong three times, then they kill off your character. <laughs> what? Yeah, I admire that brutality. That's amazing. I just finished the uh, the Busy Phillips book, which I don't know if that uh, is in your wheelhouse, but she talks about doing uh, on her first day on ER, which was, I think, season 17 or something enormous. And uh, she screwed up two takes in her first shot. And on the third one, uh, as they were prepping, Goran Viznik said to her, you get it right, right? Like, you know, this is your your strike three. Here we go. And uh, well, that's really going to make for a great third take, isn't it? I am very relaxed and confident. I guess she remained for for a bit. But uh, but yeah, those they're essentially, uh, you know, they're they're workhouses, they're schools to we we have this down to a medical science, no pun intended. (laughs) Get it going. Okay, so you're a multi-hyphenate. That's what you Thank and Jennifer you. Lopez have in common. Thank you so much. I do think of us as uh, very much comrades in the workplace. 
we talk about work on our show and what was got me thinking about all of this is that I think that all of us have been compelled to become multi-hyphenates in this time. Like you are a writer, Duanna, and a podcaster and a producer. I am a blogger and a TV show host and a podcaster, also somewhat of a producer. I think that now everyone has to gig, is it? Is it that way? I mean, I think partly, and I think the other thing is, and maybe you can speak to this a bit, because you mentioned, you said that you were podcasting before it was a job. Uh, So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that is and how that came to be. Yeah, well, for such a long time, people didn't know what podcasts were. And I didn't when I started making one. I'd never heard of them. And I didn't know what was involved. But a friend asked me if I wanted to do one and I couldn't think of a reason to say no. So I said yes. And then we figured it out. And then we were also part of kind of creating the industry, I guess, because we were one of the few doing it at the time. But it wasn't a viable way to make money. So off the back of the podcast, we got better jobs. And so it was like we got radio jobs from doing it and some TV work and some joke writing because a TV producer who liked our show was like, I want to work with you, but I'm busy. So just work on the shows I'm already making. So um, we wrote like the really foul jokes for a really dirty TV show. And it was a delightful job. We were in this writer's room, which was a cupboard filled with like prop boobs and dildos and things like that that sounds exactly right yeah but before that I was thinking oh gosh I mean I've always been a multi-hyphenate but really it was because I didn't have a proper job so before I was podcasting I was doing multiple jobs at the same time I was working in publishing doing proofreading and stuff and I was doing bits of radio if I could do it and sort of comedy adjacent things because as aforementioned, don't count myself as a comedian. But I think it was because I, I graduated and I thought there were certain things I wanted to do. And then I found that either I didn't want to do them or I couldn't get a job in them. And um, I never found a hierarchy that I wanted to ascend. And so I was doing a lot of jobs that I, mostly enjoyable, even if they were kind of technically rubbish. But um, I like the fact that now with podcasting, there is not much of a hierarchy. There's like you and the, the audience and not too much other stuff going on. But for most of the time, it's not been a financially viable thing to do until recent years, because it's a gold rush. But even then, you're like, oh, it could all be over, and what's my backup career? (laughs) I have no idea. What's my backup career? Well, I want to talk about, like, before you have to back up, like, as you said, it's becoming more lucrative, or at least financially viable. But this is something that comes up, has come up, you've talked about, being compensated for it. I read an interview that you did with The Guardian in 2015 when they said, you know, what did it take for you to add The Illusionist onto the work that you were doing for Answer Me This? And you were like, well, I wanted to do it, but I also didn't want to be in poverty. Yeah, it seems like a stupid thing to do to yourself, to do full-time unpaid work. Do you feel like the audience understands that? I think so. I think the podcast audience generally are the nicest people on the internet because for a long time they were just grateful that they were getting free entertainment. And um, they're a little bit more entitled now that there are more podcasts. But um, uh, most of the time, so I ask them to do things and uh, they're pretty generous in doing them. That includes donating money because they really don't have to. And I donate to podcasts because now I can afford to do it. So I'm sort of taking their money and distributing it amongst other podcasts which is very satisfying but yeah I think most of them get it but then sometimes when you have ads they're like but 
it's like ads or no show what do you want because uh, you can't have everything or then they're like why do you need all this money uh, the equipment only costs what a few hundred dollars but it's time isn't it just the yeah. whole thing is time and then a lot of it as well as valuing your own time that took years for me to actually come to and, and just have some self-respect did it take time for you to come to a place to be comfortable talking about money because you seem very mm. comfortable talking about money and we talk a lot about women getting to a place of comfort talking about money. Yes, that Ellen Pompeo article that I first read about on your site, um, that was pretty mind-blowing. Um, I'm comfortable talking about it in that for a lot of the time, in Britain, I was for a while one of the only podcasters making money. So other podcasters would come to me saying, I've, offered, I've been offered this deal what do you think about it? And I was like, well, I think they're screwing you over and here are some transparent numbers. So I was just trying to get everybody uh, on a level playing field and make it feel like it was fair and that they weren't being duped because of the lack of knowledge in, in the industry at the time. So I feel comfortable about it like that. Would I feel comfortable in showing someone my bank balances? That might be too intimate. I don't know. It's a lot easier to talk about money now that I have some and I'm not stressed about it the entire time. You made me think when you said people come to you and ask, what do you think about this deal or whatnot? Uh, it made me think about the calls that you inevitably get, that we all get, or the DMs or whatnot. About, uh, can I just ask you, can I pick your brain? How do you do that? How did you get to do this? Uh, and, you know, I feel everybody has their sort of set uh, number of how many coffees like that you can have per year <laughs> or per month or whatnot. What do you say to those people? Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you want to be helpful because people helped me. And um, and yet, if you did all the coffees, you would have no time to do the work. And um, so with podcasting, what I did is I started having meetups in London in pubs a few years ago. And then from that, formed a Facebook group to tell people about the meetups. But actually, the Facebook group now, there's several hundred posts a week. And um, I'm just trying to keep on top of it so that it doesn't turn into a uh, revolting mess and uh, and that it's a, a nice community. And I've met some great people through it and um, uh, it's quite sweet. But the good thing about it is if someone messages me asking for advice, I can say, I'll join the group. And then someone else comes in and is like, here's what you need to do. Because there also came a point where I, I just couldn't hear myself talk about it anymore. Uh, about well, well here are some practices when you're starting a podcast and here are the tech things you need it's just like I've heard myself say this for eight years and that was enough it's just an interesting kind of thing to me that uh that that's part of the 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 sharing economy or the gig economy is that there are a lot of people going well well you did it you did the the hard work and you figured it all out by yourself when there was no thing so just can you just tell me yeah I think it was actually great that when I started there was no advice then I didn't know any other podcasters for years and therefore it really streamlined the process. And I think now people just, they can make themselves very stressed and frenzied by trying to be perfect before they start or just they get too much conflicting advice. And the other thing is uh, people are making money out of people's aspirations to podcasts. And, and my attitude is I want to give people the impression there are as few barriers as possible to starting in the hopes that they will start. There's so many things to stop you doing any creative endeavor, right? Like, why would you do it? It's a pain. So I want to say it doesn't cost too much to begin and you're allowed to make things and you're allowed to say things. And I don't want to say, but you also need to spend several hundred dollars and get this piece of equipment you don't understand and you have to go on a course by some entrepreneur man. 
You know, I'm just just trying to destroy those destroy those myths when they come up. I'm just picturing the uh, the faceless entrepreneur man uh, who's <laughs> running this course. Yeah, I've got a strong picture of him. I guess we have uh, certain uh, models for that person. Uh, yeah, I'd yeah. say there's yeah, yeah they've been lurking, waiting to be uh, podcast entrepreneur course runners for years. Yeah, it's yeah. like a pyramid scheme, isn't it? It's true. We should run pyramid schemes, perhaps. <laughs> it just might be easier. It's viable. Not, not for yeah. our conscience, but just uh, as a work day. So, as you said, when you started, it was new. Like, it wasn't an official job title. <laughs> so you were, you could, let's say, you could say you were a podcast pioneer. Um, <laughs> Got the wagon. And then this year, I think you were named podcast champion. Yes. At the British Podcast Awards, I was, but I wasn't at the ceremony, so it feels like it didn't happen. I was uh, sitting in traffic outside of Seattle on my way to do a show. So I was like, that's nice. And people were saying, oh, everyone was so nice about you in the room. And I was like, of course, they're nice about me when I'm not in the room. <laughs> um, yeah, that feels good, but it also doesn't feel like I've done anything particularly special. I was just there. I was just doing things and. I don't know why I didn't stop, to be honest, because there was a lot of time in between starting and making, at least covering my time financially. That was years. And I was like, what kept you going during those years? Because I don't find podcasting especially enjoyable. Because <laughs> um, it's because it is work. It's a lot of yeah. effort. It's nice to have done it, but the process isn't that enjoyable. And I didn't have enough money to pay my rent most of the time or leave the house. And um, I was stealing money from my husband's uh, change jar <laughs> so that I could uh, get around London. So then I have to assume the answer to why didn't you stop is the subject matter. If it's not about, you know, the joy of the the material act of podcasting, it's got to be about the subject matter, which uh, for everything that you do is really, really specific. Uh, like what was the... What was the thing that made you say, oh, yeah, you know, people are interested in this or at least I need to talk about this and work out my own thoughts on mm. uh, etymology or similar? Well, Answer Me This is a is actually quite a general show because it's answering questions our listeners have sent in. So you kind of get an idea of what people are interested in just from the kind of questions you get. Um, a lot of people are very interested in poop, which I have limited things to say about. So we tend not to cover it that much. I mean, fair enough, ladies. No, I'm not poop shaming you. I just have so little to contribute. Um, uh, I saw that there's um, a poop themed restaurant. There is, yeah, if you, yeah, it's true. Is it, it uh, very popular? It's not for me in any way, shape, or form. You would probably love it. Shockingly, I haven't been there yet. I know. I'm oh. not sure why that is. I don't, yeah, but I don't like leaving my house. But, okay, fair enough. It's, but uh, yeah, it, Maybe they do takeout. It uh, you you seat on on what's the what's the most formal word for a toilet on a, a on toilet. a commode a uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah a lot of the poop emoji cushion I think and it's it's really and it's is something the, is the food poop style I haven't is I haven't pre, sampled any pre eaten food <laughs> <laughs> everything I know is from slightly horrified Yelp scrolling but uh-huh. uh, I, I suspect there's a lot of chocolate elements and splendid it's also not for me but uh <laughs> you know it, the, obviously there's an audience one of whom yeah. is sitting beside me hey See? look we just spent a couple minutes talking about pill oh <laughs> happy birthday <laughs> okay so i guess then Sorry, yeah. no but i guess um, uh, from that i guess what we're coming down to is like it's about singular interests right yeah, yeah or people are interested in why a thing is called a thing or 
sometimes there'll be some really great personal problems. There was one woman a few years ago where she was like, our neighbor keeps washing our car without our permission. <laughs> so it's this kind act, but it's really pissing me off. And so you get this amazing insight into people's lives. Oh, that, what the fuck? <laughs> if someone was just washing my car. I mean, right? I immediately launch into like a confrontational Are mode. Are you judging me? Yeah, I like, find it hard to see the kindness in the act, but I think that's my own aggression and probably not true. That is breathtakingly bold, like <laughs> to wash someone's car. Right. <gasps> yeah. Anyway, yeah. so fascinating. So, so you're getting yeah. all these questions. Yeah. And you're like, well, that's kind of mundane, but also astonishing. Yeah. yeah. So you, you you get what people are interested in and we try to have a variety. We try not to cover things that we've done before. And we've answered thousands of questions now. Um, so it kind of ranges from extremely specific, like the other week we had um, something about, um, there was a long running British kind of police soap opera drama called The Bill and in the closing credits you just saw uh, two pairs of lower legs in police garb walking up the street and out of shot and um, someone wrote to us asking who played those legs so that kind of specific it hasn't been on air for a few years and then just so many people have written in saying well I heard it was my teacher's daughter or I heard it was a professional dancer um, and um, and then so we did that for several years and you learn a lot about people's lives and interests. They're very interactive. And then um, The Illusionist was a show I couldn't really think about making because I was like, there's no point having ideas about what you want to do because you won't get to do it. So Ooh. just keep, I suppose, yeah, that's depressing, isn't it? Keep your expectations in line with the means that you have. Are you a bit British? Than... <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> well, I mean, um, I know what... Uh, workplace dissatisfaction is because uh, my father is a sculptor so technically he got to do whatever he wanted for the last 40 years but is permanently pissed off about it and I was like at what point in your career do you have to admit that you are him and go and try and get a job that someone else is your employer and um, stop just waiting for something and and really like not waiting I was creating my own opportunities which is expedient as well like things generally don't just come along mm -hmm. but um a friend of mine had set up uh, the podcast network Radiotopia and he's a long-term fan of Answer Me This and I knew that he was interested in working with me and um I'd had this thought I was like why don't you make a show about language you've always been interested in language you get all these Answer Me This questions about it so you know other people are interested um and um so he was staying with me in London and he was jet lagged and vulnerable. So I was like, I've had an idea for a show. Um, and he was like, okay, um, we can probably get enough money for you to start that show. And I was like, oh shit, now I actually have to figure out what that show would be like. Because all I had was a one line idea, which was me making a show about language. And um, so I, I kind of figured that out through making it, which is again, amazing privilege to be able to experiment and do whatever you like. And I mean, that's a ridiculous mm -hmm. job situation. I mean, I get to do whatever I want. But terrifying too. A little terrifying because sometimes I'm like, what if what I want is boring to others? Or just uh, sometimes I feel like, um, you know, in the Truman Show when he's in the boat and he like hits the wall that's painted to look like yeah. the sky. I feel like that in my own brain a lot where I'm like, oh, you've reached the end of your imagination and intelligence and it was not that far away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So when you do that, when you go and see through an idea and you're figuring it out, mm. what was it like for you to go from going for working for years with a partner, Ollie, mm -hmm. and then doing a show where it's you? Yeah, it's great in a way. 
because um, I had to figure out how to be solo on mic, which is so different to conversation. And it took a while. But once I did that, I felt kind of more authoritative in myself. And the other thing was, um, with Answer Me This, we were selling ourselves as a partnership when we were going to like radio stations saying, why don't you give us some jobs? We're already doing it. And they're like, what's a podcast? Internet, I don't think it's the same. And we're like, it's the same. It's people talking like on radio, never mind. Um, but they always saw me as kind of a subset of Ollie because in Britain, mm. there are far more men than women on air. Right. And... It was a lot more difficult for me to get solo jobs. And then I started doing my own show and they were like, oh, she's a thing. <laughs> and I got offered nicer jobs as well because um, I don't know why. Uh, maybe because I was just doing the thing or because I was doing something specifically about language. So they were like, oh, she has appeal to intellectual snobs. But it's they saw you as a thing, as you put it, after you already said, hey, I've decided that I'm a thing. Like, that's yeah. the order of how that happens. I suppose some of me realizing that I could see myself as a thing was the external evaluation of me as a thing. Listen to me with my wide vocabulary and very specific choice of words. <laughs> I'm a thing. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting how, looking back on it, I think I thought I had robust self-esteem, but maybe I didn't. And I needed a lot of external uh, prompts to realize but also I think some of it is aging. I feel a lot more confident in my 30s and a lot better at saying no to jobs and just not really giving a shit about certain things and to create a lot of fuss. So um, for a few years, I worked with this um, lobby group uh, founded in London that was to do with the uh, gender balance in radio. And and like they were very positive people. They were like, look, we've done this survey. We found that one in five voices on the radio is female. And that doesn't break down how many of them are just going, oh, man's jokes, ha, ah, or reading the weather. Um, and um, here are some things that we could do to improve that. So I worked with them and they were great. Um, and also now when I'm doing events, I'm like, uh, this, this lineup is very white and I can't do this event. Um, why don't you try asking these people to do this event and sometimes they respond and the lineup becomes more inclusive and sometimes they don't. I'm like, why, why? So at the moment I feel more confidence in trying to help shape the space how I think it should look. But it's still hard. You still, I still feel like such a jerk bringing up things like equality and then we're like, why do I feel like a jerk? Mm -hmm. They're the ones who've kind of failed. Yeah. We talk a lot on our podcast about using our capital so you accumulate mm -hmm. goodwill, you accumulate, it's Duana's expression, like, then how do you spend it? Um, you're spending it in that way and it still feels intimidating. Yeah. And I'm so lucky. And it's intimidating to me. So like people who are in a less good position, it's just really sucks for them. And I think that's important to point out is that even when, even people who, who get to make those moves don't do them without the sort of pit of the stomach feeling or whatever that we all feel, right? Like it's not something that if you are, Roxane Gay has talked about removing her publishing contract from Simon & Schuster mm -hmm. when they were going to publish the Milo Yiannopoulos book, for example. Uh, and it's a big power move, but it doesn't mean that you don't still feel nervous or have to like walk in a circle in your bedroom or whatever it is. Yeah. True? And Roxane Gay, she is so much more valuable culturally than he is. And she probably gets so much more shit in her life for anything that she does, despite also contributing so much more to the value of the world. Super. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how is how has it been for you then to have this world where you, 
I think are relatively comfortable in in podcasting where you get to record, edit, and then going out into the world and doing these live shows and meeting and coming face to face with the people you're essentially talking to or with on a weekly basis or yeah. bi-weekly basis. Yeah, I, I think sometimes it might be upsetting to them when they meet me because the version of me they had in their heads is killed forever <laughs> because I'm real. So they're like, your voice is coming out of you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is how it works. Um, but generally it's amazing because it's a fairly easy win doing a live podcast show because people are already into your work and they are still finding it a novelty to be in the same room as other people who like that thing because it's quite a solitary activity, pod mm -hmm. podcast listening. And um, so there's usually a fairly high level of goodwill in the room before I begin. And um, I, I don't know what I would have to do to destroy that, but um, I'm not going to try. But it seems like, you know, it, I can still exceed their expectations, which is nice. Um, so it's been good. The thing that I don't like generally is hearing myself say the same things more than once. Right. And um, with the podcast, I do it and it's gone and I can't even remember what's been in an episode the day after that I did it and have to check my own website. Um, whereas the live show, we were doing about 20 dates of it. and um, But it's been interesting because it means it gets better. Things are getting honed. I'm still moving order around. Like If I try it like this, will it be more impactful or funnier or... Is there an opportunity here for a little fact or a little joke? So in that way, I've improved at things I didn't realize that I could work on. Um, but also, I, I didn't come from radio when I did podcasting. Um, I wanted to work in radio and I couldn't really get a job in it. So I was doing these uh, kind of stand-up adjacent things. My brother's a stand-up. And um, so I was kind of around for years um, uh, when he was starting and met a lot of people. So a lot of my friends are stand-ups as well. And um, I kind of helped out running comedy nights and I did some weird things like a friend of mine um, who's a comedian called Josie Long. Um, she's very big in Britain and she was doing a run at a theatre for three weeks. And each night I would sit on stage um, embroidering a different thing in her show and making this quilt of scenes from the show. Um, so I did weird shit like that. Um, I mean, I don't know what you put in my multi-hyphenate, the on-stage <laughs> embroiderer. <laughs> Um, um, Live loomist, or yeah, loom? uh, no, it's like a. I'm I'm picturing. I don't know if this is right. What's it? It's a the circle, the crochet circle. Is that right? Uh, no, not crochet. so. You can get an embroidery ring, but I wasn't right. using one. I was going uh, freeform. There was some applique involved. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, there was a time as well which I enjoyed very much. Um, that was when a comedian needed a weird prop. They would be like, can you make us four dinosaur tails? Can you make us a doll of Donald Rumsfeld? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. Let's find out. That's another thing. You're created like an, an Etsy shop at the same time. <laughs> well, it's I not to sort of talk seriously about this awesome riff that we're having, but it's that thing of the nerdiest, weirdest, smallest parts of yourself that you think yeah. are strange are usually the things that make you successful. Right. We had an argument, uh, you and I, Elaine, a couple of years back about the phrase you do you, uh, because you thought it was more about like, uh, you know, do what you will and kind of run amok. And it always seemed to me to be about uh, embracing weirdness and embracing your sort of strange parts. But would you say that, put it this way, where was the point where you thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to sit on stage and embroider. That's going to be a viable part <laughs> of my career. I mean, it felt like a, a low, a, a low failure potential I mean the focus is not on me 
people will be like, oh, I guess I haven't seen that before. Um, I can't, rem- I honestly can't remember now. There are lots of things where I'm like, oh, why did I write a play about like a, a early 20th century guy who wrote one cookbook about cooking things in paper bags <laughs> and was obsessed with it? I had this book because I used to work in a secondhand bookshop and I have some weird stuff. And um, he wrote this book and the introduction is very compelling to me because he's like, I had this obsession with uh, with uh, making everything cookable in a paper bag. Some things are easier than others. Soups are difficult. but um, And he thought it was this great kind of socialist innovation because it means you wouldn't need um, servants because things like ovens were really hard to operate then and kitchens, like everything was so demanding, just domestic labor. <laughs> but you could just, uh, you didn't need expensive pans. All you needed was paper bags and, and everything came out very succulent and it retained more nutritional value, but everything tasted of paper. So he spent like 15 years just trying to get it to work. And then he just went into a stationery shop and they were like, try this paper. And it worked. But the thing I found really kind of moving about him was that his his grandfather in the 19th century was like a true innovator. So he invented like the army field kitchen. And so a lot of people who would have died were saved. He invented the uh, refrigerator. Um, He did a lot of stuff um, that like sort of lowered levels of people dying of starvation and disease and then this guy is like paper bags <laughs> my solution to the world's ills but he must have known that he would he would always be kind of disappointing with his grandfather's legacy it's a high pressure yeah yeah so anyway i wrote a play like this little play about him that I used to do at festivals but um i because i just found him such an upsetting character i guess and now i'm like interesting choice maybe you should have been more focused on um a more linear career <laughs> But yeah, I think it was just feeling the freedom to do it. I had quite low rent at the time. Maybe that is also to do with it. Um, that must be a lot to do with it. I think now, if you moved to London after graduating, you couldn't have the life I kind of had because you would have a lot more student debt and your rent would be um, monstrous. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. What's the hardest part of the job that nobody realizes? Um, the feeling that if I die, it would take anyone a really long time to notice. <laughs> uh, and yeah, sometimes just disappearing into my own head. And also sometimes just thinking, what is the point? There's a lot of very serious stuff happening in the world and uh, you're not helping. Um, but I guess it's just helping people not to melt down because uh, a lot of people listen to podcasts who have anxiety and depression and... Uh, it, it, just the company of uh, your voices probably helps a lot of people to get through their day because they feel like they know you. It's a very low, uh, low demand uh, kind of social feeling that they get from listening to you on podcast. So I'm like, okay, there is some value in that, but not so much value as the people I know who are doing like environmental stuff and, um, you know, trying to uh, imp- improve a political situation and, and whatnot. I don't know. I'm, I, I, I see what you mean because, you know, I um, I trade in gossip, but at the same time, there are things that happen that 
and I'm not going to say this about me, I'm going to say this about you, that are prescient, that you've done in your work that unfolds in a way that is unexpected. And what I'm talking about, for example, is um, the word cunt. (laughs) In 2015, you did an episode of The Illusionist about the C word. The cunt word. The cunt, about cunt. Yeah. And that word made one of the biggest headlines of the year. We talked about it on our show. Oh, yeah. We talked about the apology. Um, and was that the Kavenjane Wallace thing? It, no, it was Samantha B calling Ivanka oh, Trump yes. a cunt. Yeah, sorry, this year. not. A, and it yeah. resulted in an uproar because of the sensitivity around that word. Um and it made your episode from three years ago that much more relevant. Like that's your press. Like that's how prescient you are. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder whether if I return to it now, I would do something quite different with it. Because also, I think at the time, I'd only just started the show then, and I didn't realize until working a lot more with Americans because my network's based in the states that that word is a lot ruder in the states than in Britain. I mean, it's a rude word in Britain, but it it can also have quite an affectionate. Uh, connotation because you might get people going all right you're old cunt as a kind of greeting well even the word to describe the feeling you're talking about is is really used more in in the uk the cheeky right like there's a bit of cheekiness that we don't we don't even use that phrase to describe something do does canada trade in kind of rude but cheeky vocabulary yeah, there's nothing specific. For, yeah, uh, there's yeah. definitely, obviously, cultural regionisms, but I feel like they're more about what, like cottage shorthand? Like it's yeah. about uh, a Northern Ontario uh, ethos more than about rudeness or rude jokes or that kind of thing. Yeah, I like that you're too polite. That's very, <laughs> that's very civilized. And in America, I feel like the the kind of underlying humor of it would, wouldn't really carry... But then you could also in Britain use it as a very insulting thing. And I think probably most people don't use it as a body part description in a sexual way. Right. I, I, my equivalent to that, I guess, with where a word carries and the impact it has in different territories would be, I did an interview in the UK maybe four years ago. And it was like a celebrity, I don't know, talking about a celebrity gossip story. And I used the word shag. It was with like Hmm. BBC Three. And they sent me a pretty stern note afterwards Wow! saying that that in the UK is the equivalent of fuck. No, it isn't. And that that it was, it made their show unairable or controversial or, and I was like, really? I just. No. What would have been like? I mean, I'm I'm delighting in the idea that there's a style guide for uh, for for slang. What would have been? There is. I, there are these TV manuals with like the different levels of words that you can say before 9 p.m. on TV and then after. Right, and standards of you know we'll trade you one fuck for three shits. That's yeah. something that comes up a lot. But what Deal. would have, what would have been the alternative? That's like, like one of the gentlest ones. You could probably say that bang. in a classroom. Bang would know. be bang would be richer <laughs> than shag. Like bang is a bit aggressive. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. okay. Bonk. Yeah. I mean, so I yeah. was really lectured. Like they they mm. were, I, and it made me feel. It was earlier in my career. It made me feel. Oh shit! I have lost an opportunity now that I can't get back. What a like you know junior I mean, move. Eh, probably not. No, you're probably fine because that person is probably doing a different job now or has forgotten. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm surprised at that because I would have thought. Well, it really depends on what the show was if it was like a um 
what would it be? I don't know. <laughs> Someone's uh, eulogy, then maybe. <laughs> um, but I, I got told off once on the BBC because I, I said bitch is in the verb. Like people were bitching about yeah. this thing. Um, and they were like, you can't say that. But um, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's legit. I probably wouldn't have used it as a noun. Yeah. Oh, right. But like bitching and moaning. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's fairly low level. I think you chose a good word, Lainey. And I hope that <laughs> you'll forgive yourself one day. I think you chose a soft term. I feel compelled to point out, I read an article uh, this week that I did not send to anybody, so I can't verify it at all, talking about how uh, the English language, but specifically, I think, North American culture is the only language where there are insults for smart people. <laughs> right. Give me some. Like, uh, God, uh, nerd, nerd or brown yeah. noser or, yeah. or uh, yeah. yes. Boffin. Yeah. In so tabloid headlines are always like, boffins say that the ice caps are melting. Boffin. 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 Yeah. It's like scientists with no social skills. That's the connotation of boffin. Someone for whom the intellect has overcome any kind of capacity for a normal life. Right, right. Boffin. But yeah, that doesn't happen in other no. cultures. That there's not, there's, <laughs> being intelligent is not something to denigrate. God, what would, what would that feel like? Wow. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? What you were saying earlier about um, one's very specific marginal interests. Um, uh, and often that gets described as nerdery because... Um, like the other day I was on something. I was on your Canadian breakfast television. And uh, I don't know what show because I was so tired. It was breakfast television. It, was breakfast, it said yeah. breakfast television on the screens. Yeah. And um, and they were like, self-confessed word nerd. And I was like, I don't really call myself that because it's not a marginal interest. Like pretty much everyone alive uses language in some way. Yeah. And they might not think that they're interested in it. But when you get people mm-hmm. and you're like, here's the thing. They're like, oh, boom. Like their mm-hmm. brain is on. And they're like, oh, hang on. Now I'm re-examining everything. It's like the name thing, Duana. And I've had so many people since you're on my show saying, I never thought about my name before. And now I can't stop thinking about it. And I can't resolve my feelings about it. Right. Like you give them permission to think about yeah. words in that way. Yeah. But this thing that everyone has, a name. And um, so, yeah, it doesn't seem that nerdy because that would imply that it's only relevant to a few people and it's sort of sequestered in some way, whereas these things are actually very open and and huge topics. Okay, well, that's my segue to talk about names. Mm. I have to talk to you about portmanteau and portmanteau, (laughs) especially since with celebrities, we do this all the time. So, Benifer, Brangelina. Okay, I have a question for you. Uh, Benifer. Okay. Only really worked for Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, but not Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner, even though their relationship was longer. Right. Why are some couples portmanteau couples and not others? I, I want to ask you that. I want to know. <laughs> I want to know why. Yes, yeah, some portmanteaus you think take and don't take. I think it's because Benifer referring to Ben and J Lo was mm. just the original, and right. no one wanted to be like. I don't know, a secondary thought. Like, it's not very original to talk to, to talk about Ben and Jen V 2.0 mm. as a benefer when, you know, everybody knows the classic girl from the block and Jenny from the block and Ben Affleck. Well, even the fact that you, I think even the fact that you referred to her as J-Lo, yeah. like the the benefer of it like humanizes her, right? Nobody yeah. knows a J-Lo, but everybody knows a Jennifer. So it's it brings her back to the place where it's like, oh yeah, I know Ben and Jen. They're just like us. <laughs> For a while in the mid 2000s, the celebrity portmanteau was everywhere. I think Jennifer, Brangelina, Tomcat. 
Yeah, that doesn't work quite as well, does it? The Tomcat? No. It's, it's a real, it's it's <laughs> an effort, yeah. Kim Ye is the one, That's I think, very, right now. Very right. strong. And um, is there a Justin Bieber and Haley Baldwin? No, but there was a Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez, which was Jelena. Which Not is lazy. Super, yeah, it is lazy. <laughs> <laughs> so you, Portmont No, is yeah. you object to... I object to bad portmanteaus. The thing is, I love portmanteaus and I find them really funny and it is kind of irresistible to make them, which is why the bad ones really sting. So there was like, um, uh, I've been collecting them over the years and people send me pictures and and sometimes um, that is what gets me through the day. <laughs> it's <a> ridiculous portmanteau. <laughs> there are a lot of food ones. Um, uh, I was sent broccoslaw the other day, which is uh, garnished with lemonase. Uh <laughs> Okay. Sharon's. So that's parents with like joint custody agreement. Sharon's. Sharon's. Yeah. I, I don't hate that. It's I... a little shawty though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes there's just an aesthetic that you can't overcome. Um, I mean, I have a huge list. I should have got a list yeah. out for you. Like hundreds, hundreds. Um, and then some of them are just annoying. Like um, there's a, a beauty product called Womanity. But then, Fuck off. Yeah, Fuck off with exactly. your womanity. But then the celebrity portmanteau, some of them, it just... It, some of them go so seamlessly together, like Brangelina, and then others, it's like a kind of car accident yeah. of wordage. And uh, But it's frustrating because you feel like the elements are there and I'm just not putting the pieces in the right order. I mean, Justin and Selena, they, no, Justin and Haley could be Jaylee, couldn't they? But Yeah, I think some people call oh. them Jaylee, but no. Like, but again, yeah, it's, it goes lazy. to your point. Or it's lazy, but yeah. it's also repetitive of the previous couple, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it's, it's you want something Do you think new. You get one portmanteau couple coupling in your life. Oh, maybe, right? yeah. Right, your one true portmanteau partner, and that was, that was it. Like, unless the person, unless the subsequent partner is the more famous, right? Like if in a world where Haley Baldwin is the more notable, then they become Haston. And she gets like the power position. Right. Right. It's right. It, so, yeah, I guess it's about the patterns with which people pair up. I like that Gwyneth Paltrow and her new husband, they've got. Uh, the Faltros. Yeah. I thought that was, that was neat. <laughs> but then she didn't have Gwad. And uh... <laughs> she's never had one. If I were to ask you to give Prince Harry and Meghan Markle one. Oh. Because neither of them, I mean, we didn't care enough about her before Prince Harry to portmanteau her with anybody and he he's never had one no and it's it's tricky for him because what is his last name technically because it's based on titles and land and they kind of make up last names for the royals yeah he was wales until he wasn't right until now yeah. he's the the duke of sussex yeah. right right which so you could go for some sexy portmanteaus but that's kind of what the royals want to detract from <laughs> That's I think the she, point of the exercise. Yeah. <laughs> she has such an enjoyable name as well. Meghan Markle. It yeah. alliterates. Markle is phonetically fun. I suppose if she got anything from her father, at least she got that. Markle's a good, like a good name to yeah. say, as you said, a fun name to say, Markle. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It's, it's got like a, a good mouth feel. It's why she, as you, as you pointed out, why she went with her middle name. Thank you. I'm mm. sitting here itching. Yeah. She's a, Rachel. She's a stealth middle name. Her first name is Rachel. Yeah. Uh, and then played a Rachel. Uh, on yeah. Suits for many years, which uh, which is a whole other story. But yeah, and Meghan and Harry, there's no like, uh, but we're also used to saying them separately. You know, like yeah. the, yes. the idea of the couple is in itself the portmanteau. I think actually in their case, maybe people don't want a portmanteau. And they didn't do one for Wills and Kate either. 
But with her, it's interesting as well because like she's the most married person. Like her identity has been subsumed into her marriage, yes. and yet her married name hasn't caught on. She's not Princess Catherine. She's still Kate Middleton. Everyone yes. still refers to her as that. Why is it? And we will wrap up soon. But it's fascinating. <laughs> Why is it that she's Catherine with a C, but Kate with a K? Well, there's no, I like, there's no answer me this. <laughs> it's a good question. My immediate reaction is there's no real such thing as Kate with a C. Um, Blanchett says no. Well, I agree, but she would arguably concede that it's the that's the alternate, right? Yeah. That and for years, probably people misspelled her name. Agreed. She had to be Oscar nominated for people to remember the scene. Agreed. And she wasn't even like she was even the also ran Kate at that time, like behind Winslet or whomever back in the day. I've gravely offended everybody in the room. I just mean (laughs) in terms of recognizability and not in terms of skill. Oh, no. Anybody who's going to fight you on that, you all you've like one word, Titanic. Like, for a long time, the Kate was the Titanic Kate. Right, yeah. Not the Blanchett. Yeah, so, yeah, my argument is that there's there's also the Irish cot, which is C-A-I-T. It's uh, the Gaelic of uh, what would be Caitlin or what would be the root word you of say Caitlin. say cot? Cot. Like, are you doing a Cotlin. soft... Are you doing a soft R there? No. Cart? No. C-A-I-T, Kate, but it's in... It's like a weird sound. Cot, yeah. <laughs> I can't replicate it either. But I heard it. It's real. No, You're she's, not being gaslit. But also her face was like all offended and injured that I was like, are you making a sound in there? No, idiot. You do sometimes have me try to read Gaelic on demand. Like you'll say to me, what is this? And I mean, it's, Ooh, it, it's, it's not something that I have any level of skill beyond uh, faking my way through it. But I can stand behind. Anyway, that's why she's Kate. With a K. Right. Even in the absence of Catherine with a C. And I think, I don't know, I think she was christened Catherine. Like, I don't think that was a royal adoption. I think she was never Catherine with a K. No, she was never. Right. Like, her paperwork says Catherine with a C. From from yeah. birth. Yeah. And okay. they would have checked the paperwork. <laughs> oh, yes. They don't fuck around. <laughs> you were going to ask about, uh, about Harry and Meghan uh, in that regard. I So, as a Brit... Yes, official Brit. How do you feel? So there's, there is, um, there are a couple schools of thought, but there was this article that we uh, read, uh, published here in Canada in Maclean's magazine, written by like a royal expert, um, who posited that their PDA mm-hmm. is unprofessional. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. I just wonder whether. It is something that royal commentators never had to consider before due to the rather uptight nature of previous royal relationships. And now that they do, they have to think of something to say about it and it's much easier to say something negative and act like there's an issue. So is it unprofessional? I mean, it's kind of their job to be a couple at the moment, isn't it? The entire world broadcast their wedding. Like, it's yeah. hard to then step down from the performative in loveness uh, in carriage and then go but but don't touch that would be unseemly like it's it's yeah. strange to me do you think also like um it's going to be a problem when their relationship is a few years in uh they've got small children and they're not touching all the time because uh, you know things wear off or whatever or there's you know, babies crawling up their bodies and people are like oh it's gone cold 
Yes. They just can't win. That's the observation I made early on, like before they even got married, was their signature is now the handhold. So the day they step out and there's no handholding, as a gossip, as an observer of body language, um, that's the shit we talk about. They didn't handhold today. He didn't look at her tenderly today. Oh my word. Imagine the scrutiny <laughs> on our relationships. Yeah, but there's an industry devoted to uh, making stuff up about the royals. Yes. I feel so sorry for her having to enter this kind of shitstorm and also be surrounded by other members of the family. Like, imagine having to socialize with, like, Prince and Princess Michael. Oh, like, God. You know, the woman with the brooch. Uh -huh. Yes. Oh, I mean, yes. That is a real shots fired. We call her of Michael. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> So what is the thing that, uh, I mean, how do I put this without going into six more, six more hours of intense questioning? Um, <laughs> what's the baby step in for people who maybe don't, uh, don't feel as some people don't like that. They're like, oh, I don't know how to play with language or that are turned off by the phrase word nerd or whatnot. Mm -hmm. What's the, your sort of final thing that says, look, you can find it everywhere or it relates to, uh, your other interests and crafting and celebrity culture and whatever. Like, yeah, well, Ultimately, I think figuring out how language works and how you deploy it and how other people deploy it is about empathy and just communicating what you mean to people and interpreting what people mean and just thinking, oh, actually, I've interpreted their words to mean this, but there could be a whole load of other layers that I hadn't considered before. So I think there's a certain value to that. And, um, you know, if I'm being ambitious in my work, it's just to spread that idea and also kind of create a flatter society because I don't like hierarchies um, so like just being more considerate in your language so that you're showing people respect um, I think is interesting um, but I think what you brought to the show Duana in names that is a lot of people's entry points they're like I have one of those <laughs> and, uh, and <laughs> Uh, there's so many emotions attached to it and some people I think they're like I have one and I find it boring or I have one and uh, it's this uh, real shit show in, in emotions or I have one and it's awesome and what does that say about me do I deserve the awesomeness or do I have to work for it and it, there's, so I think the names would be the entry point so really I haven't done anything you have <laughs> good I've constructed a question that's really just all about me glad you're alive good good um, <laughs> and then so I guess that the follow up there is name drop who's the dream guest uh, well, I mean, you've been on. I would love uh, Lainey to come on because the word gossip has very interesting medieval origins where it was um, sort of groups of women around um, childbirth and stuff. And uh, always very interested when you talk about the philosophy of gossip mm -hmm. and the social value of it. So, um, I mean, this is unsubtle. You <laughs> come on the show, please. Uh, okay. Great. <laughs> Done. Yeah, she has to because it's on mic. Um, <laughs> when suits you because you're a very busy person. Okay. We'll work this out after. Amazing. Um, Thanks for lining that up, Duana. <laughs> I owe you. And you. They just call me like the setup and the, yeah, I, guys, I'm making what I believe to be a tennis gesture, but uh, I'm clear on that. I thought no. maybe you were flipping a coin uh, yeah. or something. Yeah. Duana and sports, no, no. No, but I, I <laughs> not for lack of trying. <laughs> Which, which ones have you tried to care about? Uh, well, I I care about baseball because I like the way people write about it. Uh, but I'm not as I still don't have the metaphors down to really uh, use them in casual conversation. Okay, could you make uh, some up and just say them with such authority? People think they're real. Depends which company uh, I'm in, uh, but uh, they're definitely being policed closely if I'm if I'm sitting with somebody who recreationally golfs and dodgeballs and so forth. Now mm -hmm. yeah, I'm looking at you. Yeah. Helen Zaltzman, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank, thank you. you so much.
I mean, I have to tell you, the thing that I was thinking the whole time was also, have I used a word wrong? Usually, I just blow past it. I'm not worried about it. But I got self-conscious about, like, are there words that I should have used in this context? Could I be more erudite? And you know when you're grasping for something in the moment, you're like, nope, nope, the word is still not there. I guess I'm going with, I feel dumb. Uh, not, not so articulate at times. No, I, I didn't get that. You sounded great. You very articulate. For me, it was we were sitting across from literally a podcast champion. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like she has the title podcast champion. And here we are with our podcast, um, like well behind her in years. And yet she's saying that she's still trying to figure it out, that she's on the road too that she's still trying to organize her schedule just like we do. Secure guests and work through those kinds of things and figure out what to do. So yeah, you're right. There's, It's a really, really good point uh, that people who have been doing any given thing for a long time still come from the same place as we do, which is, God, I hope it's good this week. And my other takeaway is, you know, in line with, I hope, the work that we've been doing on Laney Gossip, here's someone who's super smart, who cares about words, but who's also pretty into celebrities in that she knows. Oh, she knows for sure. Helen knows her celebrity gossip. And lest you make any mistake, yeah, you can be both. You can be serious or intelligent or erudite or well-spoken and also real deep into celebrity culture uh, because they are, they help each other. They don't take away from each other. Oh, yeah. She knew her homework on like J-Lo. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. Um, That was my big takeaway. I hope you guys took so much away from it. Helen Zaltzman is, again, a podcast champion, a podcast pioneer. For those of you out there hoping to start your podcasts, she's a great resource. Research her, check her out, look at her Facebook page. Listen to The Illusionist. And to answer me this, her other podcast, and let us know what you thought. Uh, You can get us on Twitter or on Instagram. Send us your emails. Let us know how you felt about our interview and about who you'd like to hear from. Uh, And hit us up in all the usual places. Leave comments. um, Subscribe to us. Thank you once again to Helen Zaltzman, who shows her work. Like, completely uh, a lesson to everybody. Loved it. Thank you, guys. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.